Welcome aboard National Football Show. It's the Grizzle. Big Sills. Football season, man. Come on now. Put that mouthpiece in. Get down on that three-point stance. Let's get ready to rock and roll here. It's college and pro football, man. What a great time of the year. You see that now? The number went from 22.1 million people saw that Sunday game between Brady and the Patriots to 28.7 million dudes watch that game on Sunday night. Don't tell me the National Football League is not the number one primetime reality TV show in America. It's actually the best reality TV show. The only difference is, okay, unlike the WWE, we don't know the outcome of these things. Doink. Yeah, doink becomes a word. I mean, it was trending, doink, when that field goal went off the goalpost at Gillette. So it's really a great time. College football this weekend, too. We got some significant games. We'll talk a little bit about that. We got a packed show. My boy Howard Balzer, you know he comes on the show. He's a Hall of Fame voter. And those are the only people that we actually get on the show usually are Hall of Fame voters. But he actually covers also the Arizona Cardinals. And Krause Jr. and I were just talking about Kyler Murray. How is that dude not your number one dude after four games? leading the charge when it comes to the MVP voting. He is the guy. You can maybe put Justin Herbert after what you saw last night. Dak Prescott's in the conversation. Tom Brady. Would you throw Aaron Rodgers in there after that debacle in week one against the Saints? They're now sitting at three and one. Lottie, Derek Carr. How about him rallying the troops last night, being down 21 to nothing? Raider team is a pretty good team, man. Carr's played great this year. Urban Cowboy, one of my favorite movies. Appreciate you coming aboard. We'll get to how you guys become part of the show here in a minute. Also, in hour two, Mark Schlereth from Fox Sports will also join us. A three-time Super Bowl champion will give us his thoughts as we will go around and whip around the National Football League. So Mark will join us in hour number two. And as I just mentioned, I mentioned Urban Cowboy, now Trevor's aboard with us. Appreciate it very much. Joe Burrow's playing great. He is. How about that 3-1 and one Bengals team? Birdman, appreciate you coming aboard. As all of you do, and I'm mentioning these names here, this is how we have grown the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio here. You guys have become part of the program. And you guys, actually, like I said, I've got th three pages worth of stuff that we prepare every day. Look at this, man. All my chicken scratches here. Only guy that can read it is me. <laughs> right? And you guys add to the mix here, man. Okay? You do. You know, I may be bringing something up, but no question about it. You guys add to it. So anything you do. Nunez is on my Twitter page, by the way, saying Jalen Hurts is on pace for 4,900 yards, 990 yards rushing, and 34 passing touchdowns. He's kind of like extrapolated that out, and he's right. I mean, especially with the 17th game, the additional ball game, hey, somebody is going to throw for 5,000 yards this year. Could somebody throw for 6,000 yards? First quarterback ever in pro football history to do that. Could that happen this year because of the 17th game? We shall see. All right. We're going to hit on a lot of stuff here, and Carolina Panthers are next up for the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll hit on that. Justin Herbert last night, 
hey, man, if you're the Miami Dolphins, are you kicking yourself in the face right now? Hell, maybe even if you're the Bengals, are you kicking yourself in the face? You passed up on that dude. That guy is a modern-day Dan Marino, Justin Herbert. Hey, if you go over to my Twitter page, at Dan Cilio Show, I posted a picture of me and him. A couple years ago, I was at the Pac-12 media day. And I couldn't believe Mario Cristobal, the head coach of the Oregon Ducks, who's a dear friend of mine, said, Sills, wait till you see this guy. I thought he was a tight end. He came walking over to me. This guy was 250 pounds. He was six foot seven, and I was stunned how big he is. I'm six one. And this guy made me look like I'm 4'10. I mean, he is a mountain of a guy with a rifle gun. And you know what I love the most about him? Last night, he put it on display. This guy has touch. He's not one of those rifle throwers that has to throw the ball through a brick wall every single time that he rears back. This guy picks his moments, man. He threw that touchdown pass in the back of the end zone between two defenders of the Raiders. I mean, that thing had to be on a BB, and it was guy throws lasers man he is some football player and five years from now we may be saying this the two best quarterbacks in the nfl reside in the afc west okay they they may be there in the afc west so we will talk about justin herbert oh yeah and urban meyer so shay khan comes out today and how about this shay khan fanned the flames more by posting a letter of disapproval of Urban Meyer's behavior. Why would you flame and throw gasoline on the flames when the story probably would have died out? Now you put more of a bullseye on Meyer. So I would say this to you, the Jaguars, let it go, man. Do you really want to keep that story going? Your football team is 0-4, bro. Worry about your football team on the field. Urban Meyer grinding on some chick in Columbus. I could care less. This is grown men. I'm not going to sit around here and talk about morality. Here, let me throw this at you here. You know, before we get into Carolina, the Eagles' next opponent, and Justin Herbert, we got a whole boatload of things to hit on here, too. Let me show you something here. Urban Meyer's a pro coach. I don't care what Urban Meyer does in his private life. He's coaching men now. You want to act like a kid? That's on your time. Urban Meyer's responsibility is to go out and win ball games. Okay? His responsibility is third and eight right now in Trevor Lawrence. I'm not going to sit here and be the morality cops. We have too much of that on the internet. Me sitting around here like the other sports talk dumbasses that think they're morality cops who if you had that same watch this if you had that same binoculars put on you i wonder if you could pass your own test so i'm not going to sit here and put morality on somebody because my morality may be different than your morality just because you see something different my god almighty are you not seeing that in mainstream media now People want to tell you how to live your life. And then there's other people who don't want to have anybody tell them how to live their life. So Dan Cilio here on the National Football Show is not going to tell Urban Meyer how to live his life. Because personally, I don't care. I I don't care what he does. That's for his wife to sit around and have a conversation with him on. 
Okay, the only person that he has to deal with in that situation is his wife. Now, you and I could sit here and go, hey, man, you know, Urban Meyer, I never really thought that this guy had character anyway, okay? That's been a comment that I've made for 15 years on him. And I'll stick to it. But at the end of the day, I could care less about the guy personally because I'm not going to sit around and we're not going to break bread. We're not going to go out to dinner. We're not going to go out to lunch. And I could care less what he does. But if I was somebody in that locker room right now, I would care if that guy just knew how to get us out of third and eight. Okay? That's all I care about. Commitment. Are you committed to winning here? Or are we going to come up with some, like, Again, uh, mental, physical health or something like that, right? Robert just adds in here, talking about Jalen. We'll flip over to that. Has completed 66% of his passes, thrown seven touchdowns and two interceptions with a passer rating of 101-1. Robert, that's exceptional. Especially for a guy, what is this, his eighth start that he's just coming off of? That's not bad, man. That, that, that's not bad, Okay. That's pretty good, actually. We're going to get into Carolina in a second. I got one thing to, to bring up here. I want to show you how certain athletes now, and by the way, Simone Biles, you know who she is? The gymnast, right? The Olympian who was talking about mental health when she was um, at the Olympic Games in Japan. You know, she said a couple days ago that she should have uh, probably not gone to Tokyo. And she said that she probably should have just just bagged the whole experience because she wasn't really into it. Okay. That's a fair comment. So Ben Simmons and his people have come out. Do you see what he did to Philadelphia today and to the Sixers? That's a guy you don't want in your city. That's a guy you don't want to root for. That's a guy that you don't want to have around your other teams like Joel Embiid. So his people, I think it's Rich Paul. Come out and say this. Well, you know, it's been really taxing and a mental health time right now is needed and it's just been very stressful on him. What does he do when he does that? He puts the Sixers in a corner. He puts the city of Philadelphia in a corner. He puts the media in a corner. He puts Doc Rivers in a corner because they can't comment on it because everyone will be afraid to bring up mental health. Pretty classic and pretty pathetic. Mental health, that's how you're going to shut down the Philadelphia media. And the Philadelphia media is not what the Philadelphia media used to be 10 years ago. They would have called BS on that. But you know, nowadays, because we have cancel culture, everybody's worried about their gig. And they're not going to bring that up. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, that parachutes in. Well, we have mental health issues now. Dude, Ben Simmons, no, no. You have a jump shot issue and a courage issue when you're under the basket. I despise that kind of talk and that kind of action. Using something like that when there's people out there that are truly struggling with mental health. Now, all of a sudden, because people are on his ass and he wants out of Philly, he's dropping that. He's completely a liar. Why would you even want that? Hey, after this little action here with Rich Paul and these guys, why would you even want that in your room? Why would you want that in your arena? Holy cow, would I burn that dude's jersey. 
Are you kidding me? I saw that this morning and I went, yeah, you know what that's going to do? You see, this is what we do here. That's right, Hungry Python. It's a crutch, man. And, and, and they always go to that when you're weak. But you see, this is the difference between me and other people. Okay? This is the difference between me and them other guys. I call a spade a spade when I see something. You know exactly what you're seeing here. Okay, Zach Ertz wants to be part of the community of Philadelphia. He lives in it. Ben Simmons is, like, trolling for Instagrams, and now he has mental health issues. <laughs> Dude, man, it, that was easily one of the most pathetic things of the year. Dude, kick that guy's ass out of Philly. Get, cut your ties. You gave up Jimmy Butler for that guy? Holy crap. Who made that stupid decision? Was that Elton Brand that did that? Who did that? Jimmy Butler. You gave up for that guy? Good grief almighty. Sills, he's a, he's a star player. Dude, I know he is. But so is Kyrie Irving, and I don't want that guy on my team either. Muhammad, Jimmy Butler is a straight-up baller as damn right. I love that guy. Plus that uh, Rachel Nichols, too, man. I think she thinks he's a great player, too. How you doing, right? How you doing? What up, Muhammad? I appreciate you coming aboard. Robert says, most total yards through the first eight quarterback starts in NFL history. Cam Newton, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes. Look at that list. Look at that list. That's pretty damn impressive, man. Don't forget, bottom of the hour, Howard Balzer from Sports Illustrated covers Cardinals. Cardinals best. Are the Cardinals the best team in the NFL? Also, in hour number two, don't forget again, Mark Schlereth from Fox Sports, three-time Super Bowl champion. He will also join us. Next team up for the Eagles will be the Carolina Panthers, 3-1. and one. They got beat by the Cowboys this past weekend. Um, Carolina's gotten better, but they're missing one of their main bell cows. And of course that's Christian McCaffrey. And I'll tell you this, the reclamation project of Sam Darnold has been absolutely spectacular to watch. Okay. Absolutely spectacular to watch what Matt rules doing the head coach of the Panthers. They're not bad on the other side of the ball. I think the Cowboys just are really good right now. Okay? Urban, Urban Cowboys said the car's the best right now. Really? You think they are? I know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm right there with you. Okay? Birdman says, I hope that the Panthers don't smash the Eagles this weekend. Panthers are a good football team, and they'll be even better when they get McCaffrey back. Now, hey, Trevor, do me a favor. Give me an update if McCaffrey's going to be playing because I saw three to six. This was a couple weeks ago on what his status is. I know that the injury report comes out on Thursday, so maybe they're going to wait Carolina until Thursday to give us a little bit more of a heads up on Christian McCaffrey. But McCaffrey is a needed asset inside that offense. Here's the problem that you have here with Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is not a guy that you can run the ball like you do with Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, you can give him the rock 28 times in a ball game. And that guy's going to go out and get you 157 yards every time he touches the ball. This guy's just that guy. Christian McCaffrey, you have to utilize him because you're trying to get him to the 17th game of the year. 
So how do you do that? You, you have to spread out his carries. And what you're trying to do also is maybe during the week, you give him a little bit more time off. Guys like that, you got to kind of like pull off, um, you know, off the practice field. Yeah, Wick noticed, huh? Wick, it's football season, dog. Football season, brother. Let's go, man. Kent says, Robert, what are, you, what are your conclusions? We need a defensive coordinator and three D studs in the draft. Ken, I like that. Your defensive coordinator. How about this? I don't know if he's good or not. I just know he's inexperienced. Okay? Trevor says he's testing it out Wednesday. Well, that means he won't be ready for Sunday. Okay? Okay, all right. All right. So that's going to be something to think about, too. He may not be ready. Trevor says Matt Rule is unsure if he plays. <laughs> Maybe depression from football season. So, look, Carolina's a good team. Solid. Do I think the uh, Eagles can beat them? I do think they can beat them. If you put up that offensive kind of performance that you did this past week against Kansas City, you're going to be in the ball game. The problem again is going to come on the other side of the football. Andy Reid, Krause Jr. and I were just talking about this. Andy Reid hates running the ball. He don't want to run the ball, man. That guy wants to throw the rock. He wants an intermediate pass. He wants to throw to the slot. He wants to do over-the-top plus 25 passes. He wants to do all that. He doesn't want to turn around and hand the ball off 32 times. Jesus, grimy. Hey, and know this. The 49ers exposed. It wasn't Kansas City, folks. It wasn't Kansas City that exposed the Eagles' run defense. It was the 49ers, actually, that did. Because the 49ers made adjustments in the second half of that game, and they were able to put the wood on the Eagles in the second half, and they ran the rock right down the throat of the Eagles, knocked them off the ball they were catching. And that's what led Andy Reid to go, okay, so they want to take Travis Kelsey away. We're going to run a rock. That's exactly what they did because you thought you were going to turn Kansas City into a one-dimensional football team by taking Kelsey away. Well, guess what? Hill went up for 180, and they ran the ball 32 times. Game over. Night. See you later. Pick up your commemorative 2021 Eagle season programs because this season's over if you're going to go by that mentality. You're not going to outfox, okay? You're not going to outfox Andy Reid in a football game if you're Nick Sirianni out of the gate. That's not going to happen. Carolina's going to run the ball, man. I don't even know who they have to step in for Christian McCaffrey to run the ball, but they're going to run the ball, dude. Every team that the Philadelphia Eagles – hey, and what Robert and everyone are saying, make no – Make hey, make no mistake here. This is a copycat league. You know that saying that everybody gets tired of hearing. Make make no mistake, it's a copycat league. And when you see one team having success because they know that that's a trend, this is a trend now. Remember what I told you? It wasn't just hyperbole that I threw out at you. That well, you know, after four games, it's a trend. It is a trend now. Run the ball on the Eagles here. Here, here, here is the identity of the Philadelphia Eagles if I'm a D coordinator. They're not good in linebackers covering tight ends. 
that defense can be turned into one dimensional, run the ball on them. And you keep running the ball on them, running the ball on them, running the ball on them. What happens? Like you saw late in the fourth quarter, Hill going in for the fifth touchdown of Mahomes. Keep running it, keep running it, keep running it, running it, wide open. Chubba Hubbard is the Panthers running back. Watch that go for watch that do go for 138 this weekend against the Eagles. Watch that. Chubba. Chubby Hubbard is going to be running the ball on you. Chubby. I'm chubby. Trevor says more like 200. Dude, you get <laughs> 200 yards, four touchdowns. No way does Chubby do that. Chubby. Chubby Hubbard. <laughs> hey, who beat the Eagles? Chubby Hubbard. You ever heard of him? Didn't he play in the band like with Blue Oyster Cult? No, no, no. Chubby Hubbard. The dude from the Panthers. He's, he's subbing in for Christian McCaffrey. Sorry, I never heard of him. Trev, give me the school he went to. I don't know the betting lines yet, smile. <laughs> Wait, hey, what's the betting line? The betting line is this. Here's my betting line. You ready? Panthers will run the ball. <laughs> the Panthers will run the rock. Chubby Hubbard. <laughs> Wickles, I'm getting a chubby just thinking of him. <laughs> Oh, my God almighty. <laughs> oh. Hey, let, real quick here. Real quick. Oklahoma State. Chubby went to Oklahoma State. Oh, I remember the kid now. He's the guy that told Gundy that he didn't like the way he was talking or what was it? He didn't like the fact that, um, oh, I remember this guy. He's Is he the guy that went like this, Trevor? He told his head coach he didn't like him going on um, like a news network. That Onan uh, News Network, that conservative news network, he had a T-shirt that he was wearing. I don't really like my coach going on conservative. Was that Chubby? Yeah, he had an uh, he had an on shirt. You're right. Yeah, that's it. That's the kid, Chubby. I don't like my coach. You know, wearing a conservative. You know, uh, you know. How could you wear that with all the guys that you have on your team? Shut up, kid. Get back in the huddle. What the hell are you talking about? Honestly, get back in the huddle, kid. I run the team here. Oh, he's Canadian. Oh, wait. He gets a pass. You know, Can watch this. You know Canadians. <laughs> right? You know Canadians. <laughs> Did he say that? God bless the queen. I think they still do that. I'm not sure. Anyway, so Justin Herbert last night, man, what a freak. That kid is so good. As big as he is, what a star, man. Hey, if you're the Miami Dolphins, are you doing this right now? So we have Tua Tagovailoa, and um, uh, yeah. And Justin Herbert was taken after him. Crossy Jr. made a point. Would you take him over uh, Joe Burrow? Yeah. Yeah. Where, hey, where was Patrick Mahomes drafted? Wasn't he like 14th? It just shows you, man. Sometimes people, you know, you put these high grades on people. Oh, hey, get this. Baker Mayfield's mad at me. I got to get to that here in a minute. I talked about it a little bit. 
on my national radio show last night. He was picked 12th. Yeah, uh, Baker Mayfield's mad at me. And so are all the, like, the loser Brown fans. I got a hit on them. Not, not all Brown fans are losers. My boy Pizzuli played there. They're going to run with Darnold. Oh, they are. They are definitely. Okay. Yeah. Deshaun was. No, 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 man. Deshaun Watson was 29th. Oh, no. Deshaun Watson, you're right, was 12th. I'm thinking of Lamar. Lamar Jackson was 29th. Or 32, I think. That's right. You're right, Trev. You're right. Yeah, so Justin Herbert last night, man. That guy is so good. By the way, I I, I think the Chargers are going to go deep. I think they're going to go deep in the playoffs, man. I think they got a football team. This Brandon Staley guy's not too bad. They got a decent defense. I like Derwin James. I like Joey Bosa. They're pretty good over there, man. Both L.A. teams are going to go to the playoffs this year. Lamar Jackson, MVP. Now I think it's Kyler Murray. Okay. Will the Spanos family spend money? No question. At the end of this year, I think I think Bose's uh, number's up. I do. All right. Hey, guys, I got, I got a hit on this one. Damn, I got to take a timeout because we're going to catch up with Howard Balzer. And we got to catch up with, with, with Howard and get his thoughts on uh, Kyler Murray being the MVP. Guys, stick with me here. We'll get to him from Sports Illustrated. We'll talk a little Cardinal football with Howard Balzer. Keep it here on the National Football Show. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. 
go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Howard Balzer from Sports Illustrated will join us, covers the Arizona Cardinals, along with the rest of the league. Yeah, Baker Mayfield's upset with me on my Twitter page, at Dan Salio Show. You got to go see what he said. He was DMing me the last couple days because I said that the Browns need a quarterback. This guy hasn't thrown a touchdown pass to one wide receiver so far this year in the first four games. You think that guy's a franchise quarterback, Baker Mayfield? I don't. I think that team wins in spite of him. I think he's a better version of Johnny Manziel. You see something special in in Baker Mayfield? Do you know what he's doing right now? He has the affordability of turning around and going, hey, if I screw up, I can just give it to Nick Chubb. Which the Browns know. Kevin Stefanski knows that. Baker Mayfield, hey, you want to hear this? I don't know. You think if you put Jalen Hurts, how about this? Let me throw this at you here. If you put Jalen Hurts on that Brown team, how do you think Jalen would do? How do you think he would do if you put Jalen Hurts on that team? We'll pick up that conversation. I love talking with my friend Howard Balzer from Sports Illustrated. And let me say this to you. Howard is so plugged in with the rest of the league, but he's right there in Phoenix. And I did not see it coming. But when Steve Kimes said at the beginning of the year, this is a playoff team, I kind of took it half-heartedly. But then I said, okay, well, let's see what happens. And now I'm going, could this team be a Super Bowl team? Howard Balzer joins us now here. Howard, are they for real? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, some of the fans, and I've been saying to the fans here in Phoenix, hey, tap the brakes a little bit on the Super Bowl talk because we know how long a season it is. But having said that, I believe they're for real. I believe that they were for real last year when they were 6-3 and three and looked like they were going to be a playoff team. But obviously they didn't. They finished the season poorly. I believed totally that Kyler Murray injuring his shoulder in a Thursday night game against Seattle when they were six and three totally affected his play the rest of the season in terms of running the ball and not wanting to take some of those chances. And that limited how defenses were playing the Cardinals. And so uh, they obviously struggled and finished eight and eight. And what they did, though, Dan, I thought that was interesting and you're, you're going to be surprised by something I'm going to say in a moment but so much of the talk after the season was getting character players bringing leadership to the locker room and they signed J.J. Watt and they brought in A.J. Green who everybody was questioning well he doesn't have anything left he's been injured he's been this he's been that and then they drafted Rondale Moore who adds to the receiving core, as A.J. Green has. But here's the guy. Here's the guy that I think might be the most valuable player on this team. Now, granted, if they win as much as they might, 
you know, Kyler Murray is one of the front runners for MVP. I did a study last year, Dan, that showed that in the last 21 years, the player that won the MVP was on a team that won an average of around 13 games. Hmm. So MVPs don't come from teams that win nine games or, or something <laughs> right. like that. And so obviously Murray's going to be a, ca- a huge candidate, continues playing the way he is, and the Cardinals win 11 or 12 or somewhere in that area. But here's the guy that has been incredible to this team in the first four weeks, and that's the center, Rodney Hudson, hmm. who they made a trade for from the Raiders. They knew what they were getting in terms of a player. But Cliff Kingsbury admitted last week that he's over and beyond, way beyond, how valuable they thought he was going to be off the field as a leader, as a guy who brings the line together. Against Jacksonville two games ago, they lost two, two of their two starting guards in the first half. And everyone talked and raved after that game about how Rodney Hudson was the guy, hey, we're not panicking. Everybody keep keep yourself together. We're going to get through this. And he got he made sure everybody was lined up. He's had there's been plays this year, Dan, where he calls out a de- the defense to Kyler Murray, and Murray's made an adjustment in the play and hit a big play from it. So he I think he has been unbelievable because and not only off the field, of course, but bringing a physicality to the line offensive line that they didn't have that much of. And so that game against the Rams, all that they thought that they could be came together to show what they're capable of when they don't have turnovers, when they take the ball away a couple of times and they can run, they can pass. And, and Murray has been tremendous at going through his progressions, n- n- not looking only for Deandre Hopkins. And now here's the real sacrilege. I've said this a couple of times locally, Dan. They're probably better off without Larry Fitzgerald. Wow. Wow. That is a big statement there because, again, and I know you're talking Larry now. Right, exactly. Okay, and you're talking more needed on the roster spot, so I completely understand no disrespect or shade on Larry, but right now what it probably does is for you're going here, tell me if I'm right and going down your track here, is that it's now created leadership in a leadership role for Kyler Murray now, and maybe some other guys, like you said, the center, J.J. walking in there, and other guys that can take maybe that leadership role and make that their team. So maybe that's the overall blanket with not having Larry there and a new addition at center. Yeah, and and, you know, last year he was – I'm not going to say he was an afterthought in the offense, but he didn't catch many passes. He averaged under eight yards per reception. And he he obviously wasn't the same Larry Fitzgerald. So if he was on this roster now, whose spot would he be taking? Right. And, you know, A.J. Green has added a tremendous amount to it because, A, a big part of it, all their other receivers are around, you know, six foot, five, 11 or less. A.J. Green's six foot four. And so one, one important thing is Kyler Murray can see him a little bit better uh, at his height than some of the other receivers. But now he takes pressure off Hopkins. Christian Kirk, they were able to move to the slot, and he was play- He had been playing mostly on the outside where he can play, but he's not as good as he is in the slot. And then he alternates. He plays more in the slot than Rondale Moore, but Moore brings a lot. So if, if Fitzgerald was here, what would they be doing? I mean, it, it's hard to imagine what his role uh, would be. Green's made big plays the last couple of weeks. 
Christian Kirk had a quiet game Sunday, but prior to that was a, was making huge plays in this offense. So, and, and when one other guy, James Conner, uh, who, who they signed, everyone thought, Oh, that was an afterthought, but he's, he's added a toughness uh, to the running game. He's had four touchdowns in the mm. last two weeks. And so they, they had one drive Dan in the game Sunday where Let's see. They were winning thirty-four to thirteen. So it was. I watched that game. I thought they knocked them off the field. Yeah, it was a three-score game. They stopped the Rams on fourth, fourth and goal, so that kept it from becoming a two-score game. And then they, but it was still twelve and a half minutes left. You never know in this league. And they got the ball on their own four-yard line, and or maybe maybe it was you know shorter than the four. I think actually I think it was at the one. Yeah. And then on third and seven. Chase Edmonds goes up the middle for 54 yards through a gaping hole. And, and he's really not a between the tackles type of runner. And they ran the ball 11 times. I think it was every play on that drive and they kicked the field goal and they, they bled over eight minutes off the clock in that drive. And so they just, they just wore down uh, the Rams in that game and made a statement that, hey, we are a good team. We know what we have to do to play like a good team. And now, obviously, you still have to go out there week after week and do it because we know how quickly things can turn in the NFL. So one final question on the Cardinals. As you know, you can look great sitting here October 5th, but the question will be also the war of attrition here. You're adding that extra game. There's 17 ball games now. you got an extended season a little bit here. Do they have enough depth on this football team to withstand injuries at key positions for them to stay into the hunt? And I'm not talking about losing Murray, but I'm talking about losing guys in the O-line or guys losing some players maybe on defense because that'll be a factor as we go on this season. No, you're 100% right. And so far they've been able to overcome some of those injuries. I mentioned on the offensive line, they played two backup guards in the second half against Jacksonville. And then Justin Pugh was one of the guys that went out, but, he was able to play on Sunday, and but they had the backup who came in, Max Garcia, uh, came in at right guard the week before, and he played the entire game Sunday, and you know looked like he held his own, and so they've got some pretty good depth. Uh, Byron Murphy Jr., who's second in the league in interceptions with three, he was in and out of the lineup after suffering an injury, but uh, they've, you know, they. They, the guys they put out there have have played pretty well. So it, it does look like a roster that has some pretty good depth. Now, if that depth really starts getting challenged, then that, that can be an issue. That, w- that would be the case for just about any team. But real, really the key, you mentioned Murray, he has to stay healthy because yeah. for, for all the things that he can do, there was, there was that one play, if you, you watched the game, where it was third and 16, and he made two or three moves for an 18-yard run that gave them a first down and led to a touchdown. It was that that's, that's the quintessential Kyler Murray. I don't know if he makes that play, if he has a shoulder injury and all of a sudden he's worrying about what, what's going to happen. Maybe he goes out of bounds a little bit earlier, who knows? So that is still obviously the, the most important thing, but that's true for just about any team to uh, not lose a quarterback. But in, in Murray's case last year, he was healthy enough to play, but, he just wasn't healthy because it was on it was it was on his left shoulder in terms of throwing, but in terms of running and and what is so important to his game, that it took that away from them because of that injury last year, and it really affected that second half of the season. Absolutely, and especially in the NFC West, where I think they've yeah. 
last place team and the first place team, I think this thing could rotate all season long. So let me get over to this game that we saw 28 million Americans tuned in for. That was the uh, Patriots and the Buccaneers. I mean, this is this was my assessment. You tell me if you subscribe to how I gave a letter grade for this thing. I think Tom Brady came away from that game going like this. Not the kind of grade I wanted. I got right. the win, but I'm sitting there watching that game, and I don't know, and I know you do, but I don't know if the common fan just sees how great of a defensive coordinator, Bill Belich, yes. I mean, that had to be, in my opinion, one of the toughest classrooms for Tom Brady and his entire career. Those walk-up disguise coverages, everything that they were doing, Brady doesn't throw a touchdown. He threw more passes than he threw completions. I mean, I I, I thought it lived up to the billing. I thought everything. What did what did you take away from that game? I'm with you 100. percent You know, I wondered going in whether all the hype and all the hoopla, whether the game would measure up, and and it surely did. And you know that it, it's it seems weird to say that Bill Belichick might have put more into this defensive game plan than normal, but then again you would think he would have to because he's playing Tom Brady <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and a very good offense. And Brady talked about it afterwards. He says, he says, you knew how tough it was for teams to come in here and play, you know, week after week against this defense. And he understands that. And I think he also realizes how much that helped him become the quote goat, which I think it's a little a little much sometimes when you just automatically crown a guy the greatest of all time because his team is so great. But I think he realizes that a big part of it was that defense that the Patriots routinely put out there week after week after week and made it so hard for opposing teams. And so, yeah, I think that it made it tough for him. Like you said, he was, you know, one, 22 for 43, so he was just a shade over 500. Uh, 50% of his passes, ra rather. His passer rating was around 71 uh, in the game. So it was not a quintessential Tom Brady performance. And if the Patriots were maybe a little bit better, I mean, what the heck? Mac Jones, his passer rating was over 100. Yeah, so, he's great. You know, I, you know, I think maybe you, you could look at that and say, hey, may maybe this guy at some point could be the next Tom Brady. Now that's unfair. He probably won't win seven, six Super Bowls with them, but the guy's going to be a very good quarterback. But yeah, everything you said made it so tough. Plus, plus what it, what an environment it was, how emotional it was uh, for Brady. I, I'm just, I'm sure he's just so glad that it's over, it's done, and we we escape with a win. And now I don't have to worry about playing this team again, unless he's unless he's still playing in like four years, which who knows, maybe Tom Brady will. And Belichick even said that if he, anybody could do it, he could do it. Let me throw you over to the Cowboys. Okay. I hate to do this because we do this. We we do this stuff every year with this team. <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm saying it. I'm going to say it for the first time in 15 years. I'm buying the Cowboys, man. I think Dan Quinn has really been an influential part of that team's renaissance and turnaround. My only problem is the head coach. I just think the head coach may put some speed bumps in the way. Maybe they lose a game in the postseason. I don't know. I just – I'm buying it, though. Dak just looks so comfortable in the pocket. It looks like he got his bag of money, and he's so comfortable, and they're running the ball. Zeke went for 154 last week. I mean, 
Okay, I'll turn it over to you. Are you buying them? Yeah, I, I think at this point, you know, I'm, I'm not buying high, but I think they have a real chance to be pretty good, and the schedule helps them. They don't play another uh, team until week 11 that was in the playoffs last year. The division obviously has a lot of question marks. Doesn't mean that some of the games in there won't be tough ones, but it's it, it's not just a grind like some of these other uh, divisions. And, you know, he's you, you mentioned mentioned Ezekiel Elliott. That was huge uh, to me. He looked a lot different in the last couple of games that I've seen him than in week one. And we heard all along about how he had worked so hard in the offseason to, to get in better shape and all that. But he, he, he just didn't look that like he was running that hard, uh, you know, early. But may, that might have been because they were going against Tampa and they hardly ran the ball in that game. But he's got to be a big part of that. Like you said, Prescott looks tremendous. The defense will, will continue to probably get better on a week-to-week basis. And here's the wild card with this team, Dan. If they can go through the schedule winning, just, hey, just win the games you're supposed to win. And then you look at the other the other division winners, let's say, and if we just say, okay, you figure they're going to win the division, they have a chance for a first-round bye. Yeah. Because, because in some of these other divisions, teams are going to be beating each other up. Although, you know, the, the NFC North isn't that great. Uh, the NFC South, hmm, I don't know. New Orleans obviously seems up and down. So it might not work out that way for them. but they could theoretically get a first round buy and we know what you know we you know what happens there you just need two 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 games to get to the super bowl and that would be i would think a very dangerous team in the in the postseason with that offensive firepower that they have let's go down to jacksonville now and <laughs> i'm not going to play i'm not going to play morality cops here because these are grown men i mean we're not talking about college guys here but shay Khan, and, and there's kind of a two-part question here with this. So why would Shea Khan throw more gasoline on the flames by releasing a statement when you're hoping something like that goes away? And in the other hand, you have Urban Meyer. He tells his 0-4 football team to take the weekend off. I, You know, I, I, I don't know, man. I just think there's certain guys that are built for the college game, and then there's certain guys that are built for the pro game. Saban is built for the college game and he'll always be built. And I'm not comparing his behavior to anything Nick has ever done because I'm, I, I, I'm not doing that. However, do you think this is a short-term thing here in Jacksonville for urban Meyer in your opinion? It very well could be. And, and I think that, well, first one point I want to make most teams when they play Thursday, they get two days off, yes. whatever your record is. Yeah, that's I mean, right. you play Sunday and you're off Monday and Tuesday. Now maybe there's guy there's guys coming in for treatment, if they need it the day after, if there has injuries or things like that. But players are off two days after after games all the time in the NFL. So I, I don't really have as much of an issue with that part of it. But just you're you're you know, the head coach is the leader. You know, we all talk about leaders in the locker room, which are important, but the head coach is still still the leader. And all these head coaches ever do, he admitted it yesterday. He admitted it Monday when he was talking about his message to Trevor Lawrence, what did he say? What was he, did he say he was going to Vegas, I think, or, or wherever he was going. Yeah. And he said, Hey, just be careful, be careful. And, and the coaches are saying this all the time to guys, everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody's taking photos. Everybody's taking videos. And they t- tell the players this all the time. And then you as a head coach, not a young head coach, go out and, and, and something like this occurs. That's just bizarre to me. So I, I think that Khan had to say something 
because I think people were probably saying, hey, does the, does the owner have a comment? Is somebody going to comment on this? So I think he probably felt, and I'm sure PR department kind of urged him to say, you got to say something about this. So I think that's probably uh, why he did it. But all that to the side, it's what, what are the players thinking now? Does this guy have any credibility in the locker room? And then, of course, stories pop up about guys that were laughing. I mean, he, he uh, at, uh, you know, after he spoke, yesterday and he didn't even speak apparently he didn't danny didn't even speak to the whole team as yeah. one he went to their position group meetings to talk to the positions and i'm going what really i don't know this is it, unless all of a sudden they just start winning games and they they haven't played badly the last two weeks i mean heck they gave the cardinals all they could handle and by all rights they they, they were right in there and could have beat the Bengals. and the Bengals are looking like a pretty solid team right now so they are playing hard they probably will improve, but if the losing continues, then that's going to ramp up even more the scrutiny of him. And I don't know. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to last it. And and may, maybe it won't take winning. Maybe maybe this whole incident could could be his downfall. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how that all plays out. Okay, you know that I get a text message every time when you you come on and when Cole <laughs> comes on because you guys are in the room and I get asked questions from all my friends and I'm going to post a picture of me and my wife with Ed Tutal Jones. Um, I know Ed's stats aren't very high. He doesn't have a lot of pro bowls, this and that, but you would have to admit that that guy was a dominating defensive end for 17 years in the national football league. Is he just in that tier of being really good and not being exceptional? When you think of Ed Tutal Jones being on doomsday, I think that's probably it. I think there was probably a little bit of, well, the Cowboys were so, you know, were such a good team and they had so many guys there and look how that affected some of their players and how long. But you can look on the other side though, Howard and go Harvey Martin, man, he had a lot of pro bowls. Yeah, that's very true. Exactly. So there's, as we know, we talk about this every time I come on, we know how many good players that there are really good players. Some arguably could be hall of famers comparatively speaking to others. And that fine line is, is a very fine one. Uh, there's no question about that. And so how do you, how do you, how do you make determinations? It's just, it's like kind of gut feel and, and all those things. But I'll, I'll tell you this. I saw the list of all the players that were on this, the, the, the players that are eligible for the seniors category that, that that committee looks at every year. And there's like 200 players on there. Jesus. And, and and when you look at that, you go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and you start seeing and you're saying, and then they put in one a year now. One senior guy breaks through and that's it. And then every year, usually there's another couple guys that get added uh, to the seniors group. It's, you know, it was like when they had the centennial class. And they had 10 seniors, and a bunch of those are from the 20s and the 30s and, and all those guys. So it, it barely touched, you know, the guys from, quote, the modern era that we know uh, so well. But they put 10 overall guys in, and I said, yeah, that, that's, like a, a, that's like taking a bucket of water out of the ocean. No one notices. No one knows because look, look what's still there. I, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. And if you saw some of those names, and you've brought them up on, you know, many weeks, many of those guys are on that list. And whew, it's it's just it's just very very difficult, and so many of them will will never get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame.
I know I got two guys right here on this jersey right here, Klecko and Gastineau, yeah, that Klecko. were defensive players of the year, and they're still kind of waiting to be debated. I mean, it's kind of crazy that both those guys are players of the year and their statistics warrant well, well, them to be considered. Klecko has been debated in the seniors. I know, I know Klecko's been debated in the seniors' room. He hasn't been debated in the big room, but usually – Usually the guy that gets put up by the committee sails through, and there is a certain amount of debate and talk from some 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 selectors who don't know them that well. But I, I know how much discussion goes on about, you know, in the seniors committee with these guys. And I can't even imagine voting when you have this huge list of players and then you have to pick it's either 10 or 15 finalists to be discussed when the seniors committee gets gets together and meets in august i mean that, that's just that's excruciating just cutting it down uh, to that number so that's that that's just the nature of the process I, hey one last thing here um i gotta show you this here because gastino sent this and he wanted me to show you this here too because he goes show him this here uh he was the defensive player of the year Okay, go. just <laughs> just so you, in case you guys are ever going to debate. Hey, Howard, thank <laughs> you so much. It is always great catching up with you. Thank you, my friend. My pleasure, Dan. Take care. You got it. All right, we'll take a brief time out, get right back to all you guys. Don't forget Mark Schlereth in hour number two from Fox Sports. Keep it right here on the National Football Show. <laughs> At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. 
Welcome back. National Football Show, Dan Cilio here. Thank you to Howard Balzer from Sports Illustrated. Hall of Fame voter. Next hour, we will have our friend Mark Schlereth from Fox Sports, the owner of three Super Bowl rings. Washington and Denver. Prior to Howard coming on, I asked you the question, how do you think Jalen Hurts would do if he was the starting quarterback in Cleveland? Because Baker Mayfield is a little upset with me because I don't think he's a franchise guy. And I think he holds that team back. And that's why the Browns have not given him a contract extension. Almost every single quarterback out of that draft class has gone on to get extensions, except him. Okay? I mean, Baltimore, they're working on the extension with Lamar Jackson. Lamar's his own agent, and he's already told Steve Bashotti, the owner of the Baltimore Ravens, that we'll get to it. Don't worry. I've got a season that we're trying to get through. So, I mean, I mean, they're handling that internally. And really, Lamar, because he's not handling an agent in this whole process, he's really the guy who is the centerpiece in this negotiations. Smile says one and three record in Cleveland for Hurts. No way, man. No way. If that kid plays like he did against Kansas City on Sunday, I think that football team has got the same record. The quarterback is not the factor in Cleveland. That guy's not winning ball games for them. Did you see that game last week against what was it, the Vikings? I mean, they couldn't get out of their way at the quarterback position. And some of the guys in Cleveland are going, oh man, he had his one bad game. Dude, one bad game. We're talking about four games that you haven't thrown a and you have Jarvis Landry. I know he's been hurt. And you got Odell Beckham on that team. You got those two guys on your football team, and you haven't thrown a you haven't thrown a touchdown to a wide receiver yet. No way, man. Smile. I think that he look, Mayfield versus Jalen Hurts. I don't know. You really see that much of a difference in the quarterback play. Boy, I tell you, I, I would debate that, okay? I would debate that to you. Maybe it's just because I'm not a Baker Mayfield guy. By the way, I told Baker Mayfield this. It's like getting a godfather. Hey, son, it's not the personal. Strictly business. It's strictly business here. When I see you, I don't see a... What what's this? And I'll and, and and I'll point him out to you. Well, let's go around the league here. Zach Wilson. I think these rookies. I think that's unfair to throw that at them now. When I say Super Bowl, do you see Baker Mayfield? I don't. Okay. When I when I look at Aaron Rodgers, yes, he's already got one. How about Jameis Winston in New Orleans? only reason that I would say maybe is because the coach is down there, Sean Payton. Matt Ryan has already been to one. Teddy Bridgewater was hurt. Uh, concussion protocol in Denver. I like him. But probably not. Matthew Stafford. You see Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford? Tell you what, he laid a gigantic egg against Arizona. Gigantic egg. Um, a maybe? 
Okay. Hey, by the way, you know how tough the quarterback position is to figure out for organizations like Philly and San Francisco? Think of this for a minute. If you're John Lynch, general manager now, San Francisco, and Jimmy Garoppolo's hurt again, what is it, a calf? Are you kicking yourself now because you've now lost some market value for the guy because he's hurt again? I mean, Garoppolo's hurt again. It's got to get to a point where you're Kyle Shanahan and you're John Lynch and you're doing this. Jesus, enough is enough with this. Let's just move forward with Trey Lance here. At least I can count that this guy's going to be healthy. He may not be the quarterback that Jimmy G is, but my God almighty, how many days and how many weeks are you going to go paper mache with this guy and just try to put this Humpty Dumpty back together again and think, okay, well, let's just turn the team back over to Jimmy Garoppolo when you know it's coming. Jimmy Garoppolo is like the Titanic. The only difference is you know you're hitting the iceberg if you're San Francisco. You know you're hitting it. It's just a matter of when. And you've got to get to a point. Bob, he's he's in a position, Bob. Think of this for a second. San Francisco is in a position that they were in a year ago with him. They've got this really good roster. The fan base knows it. The organization knows it. But this guy constantly puts these speed bumps in the way of the organization. And know this, you're in the NFC West. You can't afford to lose two games in a row. Okay? You can't do that. Because in that division, Rams, Cardinals, Seahawks. And you know what? I'll tell you this about the Seahawks. The Seahawks may actually be the lesser of all the teams in the NFC West. Outside of Russell Wilson, let's ask this question about Seattle. What do they do exceptional? Are they really exceptional on defense? Okay, Metcalf's a good wideout, but they don't run the ball effectively enough. What do they do? Take Hey, Take Russell Wilson's name out of the conversation. What do they do without Russell Wilson? Better better coaching than most teams? Okay, that's a factor, especially in the NFL. But what do they do great, right? <laughs> Urban Cowboy says Seattle plays well in the rain. Wick goes 49ers are thin at running back. They can't play with physicality all year without having injuries. Dude, they're a physical football team, but that does wear them out, Wick. Shit, by the eighth game, man, that roster's like half of it, right? Half of it is almost out for the year or extended period of time when it comes to, you know, the IR. Not just Jimmy G. It's coaching. Kyle, bad play caller. I don't know about that, Bob. I don't know if he's a bad play caller. You be hey Bob, you become a bad play caller when you don't have experience at the position. And you could be the greatest play caller on the planet. You can't just call plays you like. 
you've got to call plays that the player likes and the player's skill set fits. And sometimes that makes every coach look like a tool sometimes. That's why when you have an experienced quarterback, look, look at Sean McVay and how Sean McVay, I know outside of the Cardinal game, but McVay using Matthew Stafford, at least for the other three games, I mean, this guy was chucking the ball plus 25 yards down the field. These guys were wide open, and it was consistent more so than when they had Jared Goff. So it was a game plan that was fit to a skill set of a player. Those are the great coaches. Like, like you know, people in Philadelphia are debating right now whether or not Nick Sirianni's a good coach. How can you tell? How can you tell if he's a good coach? you got a quarterback that you're trying to develop into figuring out if he could play or not in this league. And see, here, when, when, when I see a performance like Jalen had against the Cowboys, and then when I see how he played against Kansas City, that still troubles me because it's too Jared Golfish. Okay, played played B plus type of a game against Kansas City, and he played a D plus type of game against the Cowboys. So you're telling me the Cowboys defense is better in Kansas City this year? Maybe. Maybe. And Sirianni's got to go back and forth like that. I agree, but like you said, if Jimmy G is playing, you have to play towards his strengths. Yeah, but Bob, it, agreed 100%. 100% you're dead on. But when I put a game plan together and all of a sudden I get a call from my trainer, Jimmy's out. I got to rip that whole game plan apart because I, now I got to put in an experienced Trey Lance. And all those plays that you have lined up, See, look, here's the difference, Bob, in San Francisco. And really, you could even go in Philadelphia or any young place like New York with the Jets or any place. The lesser experienced guy is probably going to get 35% of the playbook. He may know all the playbook, but his skill set doesn't fit to his playbook, the coach's playbook. That's why these offensive playbooks are so enormous. They look like a Tokyo phone book. These play. The, the offensive playbooks in the NFL, honestly, they look like Tokyo phone books. Okay? The defensive playbook is like half of that. And what you're doing is you're going to figure out out of the 400 offensive plays that Shanahan has in there. And it's it, 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 a playbook in the NFL is exactly like a cookbook. Okay? It's like a cookbook. Quarterback's going to sit down with the offensive coordinator slash head coach who calls the plays, and he's going to go like this. I like plays 1, 7, 10, 38, 25, 54, 100. And what they'll do is they'll put a smaller book together of the plays the quarterback likes. Then what you have to do is get your quality control coach. Follow me here. This is important. Because I'm teaching you guys how these guys prepare every week. Then you'll get the quality control coach. And you'll get tendency and trends from what you've seen over the last four weeks. And you'll take those 50 or so plays that you singled out, that you like, out of Shanahan or Sirianni's playbook. And you'll see how many of those plug into the weaknesses of, say, Carolina 
or like this game this weekend, Buffalo, Kansas City, how many of them fit into that particular, okay, attack or game plan? Then you've got to go out and you practice them, and that's how you prepare each week. That's why you you may only have, and then you know what a coach, a real good coach does? You may only have 10 plays going into this weekend, but what you'll do because you're a good coach, you'll make different variations off of different formations and different sets and different groupings so that you'll have 30 plays, 35 plays, and you can build a chart that you see people holding on the sidelines. That chart is taken from what I've – you know that chart that those guys have that they do this in front of their mouth all the time and they do that? That's exactly what I'm talking about, how that chart's constructed. So that's all in the preparation. Wick says, let's sign Aaron Rodgers next season. Oh, yeah, okay. Good luck. I'd love that. Yeah, Aaron, hey, Ken, Aaron's been looking great since the Saints game. I agree. Why would Aaron Rodgers want to go to Philadelphia, though? I'm not saying he wouldn't think about it. What, what's the upside for him to go there? What's the upside? Let's see. Receivers? The kid Rieger's not good. May I say this to you guys? I know some of you guys may, you know, not like how I look at some of the talent on your team. Devontae Smith has to be in space. You see that guy from Kansas City, pick him up off the ground and plant that kid on his back. We need a little more weight there, kid. I want, I'll want i be shocked if uh, Devontae Smith is upright um, in by week 17 and he's not beat up. A little different than the SEC, and I think the SEC is the best football in the country. He got picked up off the ground and planted. That was a big hit. Bob says, I'd take Aaron Rodgers. Hey, really? <laughs> hey, Bob, I'll tell you what I would do. If I was San Francisco, I'd still go after Aaron Rodgers, and I would have Trey Lance learn from him. Eddie, Rieger's speed, and he's also this other word, inconsistent. Dude, sometimes I, I don't see the guy. I'm, I'm wondering if he's a healthy scratch sometimes. He's just not consistent enough showing up. He's just not. And by the way, I really don't think the problems are on the offensive side, so Rodgers may be interested in going there. But here would be the other thing, too. You know, on the plus side here, you're playing against Washington. That's national exposure. Playing against New York. You're playing against Dallas twice. So you got a lot of publicity. Again, we all know the Tiffany division in the NFL, and I know people don't like to hear it, but the Tiffany division in the NFL is the NFC East. Bob, I don't think that's crazy. What, trade, watch this. You know, you know what's funny? See, Bob, but that's a normal thing that stupid fans go through. So, wait. Hey, who would – so, do you think – let me think. You think the Jets wouldn't want Aaron Rodgers right now? Yeah, but they got Zach Wilson. So? So? <laughs> um, You don't think the Bears would want Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, but we got Justin Fields. And? <laughs> and? What's that mean? <laughs> well, you know, you know, we're trying to develop. Develop? You develop people like in the NBA, in the G League, not the NFL. 
well, you know, uh, we drafted. A, I don't care what you did. If I can get a better player, a better coach, I'm going to get him. Jesus criminy, what is that? Isn't that crazy people do that all the time? Here, you think the Eagles wouldn't go after and go like this. Hey, Jalen, I want you to sit behind Aaron Rodgers for two years. And if you don't like it, kid, I don't care. I'm taking Aaron Rodgers, dude. That guy's a first ballot, maybe consensus Hall of Famer. What are you, crazy? 37? I'm still taking the guy. Stupid talk. Yeah, well, you know, we got um, this very young Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Oh, you're right. Okay, keep developing Trevor Lawrence and not pass. And you're going to pass on Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> That's why you're the Jags. That's right, Wick. But Jalen is showing improvement. I think he's showing improvement. Dion says Vikings laughed at us when we drafted Rieger. They picked Justin Jefferson right after. Man. Right? People always look at that. Every time I say that, I mean – why do you think that the Miami Dolphins have been going this entire year trying to figure a way to get Sean Watson in a Miami Dolphin uniform? You don't think they're still doing that now? You don't think teams like the Eagles, the Broncos, the Dolphins are still trying to do something before the November trade deadline? Or is it in October? I forget. Okay, you don't think they're still trying to figure out how they can get that kid off um, I don't know, what is it, timeout because of what his actions were? Whatever, right? Hey, can I ask you a question, one thing on Deshaun? If you're the, if you're the Eagles, Dolphins, and Broncos, don't you find it weird that Deshaun Watson hasn't been arrested? Why is he not playing? Well, he's got all these accusations. Accusations has kept him off the field and he's not been arrested. Why is he not playing? Why is wait? Joey B says, Dan, you called it even before Urban Meyer bar scenario. He's a fraud. And won't be around long in the NFL. Of course he won't. There'll be a medical issue coming up. Some sort of brain tumor thing or some sort of um, heart. What was it? In Gainesville, it was a heart issue. And in um, Columbus, wasn't it like a brain issue or something? Urban, I didn't hear that. So wait a minute. He's refusing. Then why aren't you finding him? Urban, why aren't you finding him then? If he's refusing, they're paying him. Why aren't they why aren't they finding him then? Hey, he's not suspended, Bob. He's not suspended. They're paying him. Okay? <laughs> yeah, no, no. You know, hey. Yeah, no, Urban Meyer, man. I mean, like, you know, let's see. I if I remember correctly. He left Gainesville because of heart stuff. And he left Columbus because of like, what was it? Brain clouds or something? I don't know. Whatever. I, I think we're about ready for another medical. 
No, no, Wick, it ain't 10 charges. It's 10 civil suits, not criminal suits. That's not the case. They're going after the money. They're not going uh, criminally after him or he'd be arrested. Why? Okay, 10 charges. Why isn't he arrested? If there was a person in anybody's community with 10 charges of rape or sexual misconduct, you and I would be under the jail, not just arrested. Bob says, yeah, if you, you well, Bob, I haven't heard that. I, I don't know what the hell's going on with that thing. Nick Casario every week has to address it. Yeah, he's getting paid, Ken. Yeah, he's getting paid. He's not not getting paid. And he's on the roster. He's not on any exempt list. And if he's refusing to play, like some of you guys are saying, why not find him? What the hell's going on here with that? 22 different women. Why isn't he arrested, Wick? I don't know why people can't see. I mean, my... Look, and, and, and for the record, I'm not giving him a pass in anything. I'm just asking a common question. Why isn't he arrested? Yeah, $180 million, Wick. $38 million kicks in next year. And he just got a signing bonus this past season. That's right, Eddie. That's what I think it is, too. That Tony Busby guy who's representing all those chicks. Personally, I, I I think it's a money grab, but you know what? Why hasn't he been arrested? Why is the FBI involved? The FBI gets involved in sexual misconduct cases since when? Last time the FBI got involved in something like this, it was over that Bubba Wallace thing with the hoax that was down at Talladega. It was no noose. So personally, that's why I think the Eagles and the Dolphins and the Broncos and maybe who God knows who else are still in the conversation for Deshaun. Wick, I think it's – how about this, Wick? I'm not saying anything anybody has said is wrong here. I'm just saying it's weird. Jay says our defense would be stacked by now if I was the GM with the clowns like Dillard, Rieger, Dickerson. Jay, that defense, man, I'm stunned how weak it is. Now – Somebody brought a great point up about Gannon yesterday. And we were talking about it. Man, that guy, awful young. Honestly, my wife and I were watching the Eagles um, in Kansas City game. And she's like, who's the coach? Are the coaches? I said, yeah. She's like this. Jesus, criminy, man. Looks like a high school coaching staff. I said, yeah, but they're pretty good. And she's like, really? How, do you, how can you tell? I go, ah. She goes, that's the defensive coordinator? The guy Gannon, I go, yeah. She's like, wow, what would he possibly know on how to defend Andy Reid? She went like this. This guy's on training wheels. <laughs> and basically, they were on training wheels, wheels with 200 yards rushing. How do you not and, – and get this. Reid played a great – he played it great, didn't he? Okay, when when the Eagles decided to float back the linebackers and put them off the line of scrimmage, they ran it 32 times. Joey B threw this out there. How about Deshaun to replace Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh? 
Tomlin and Watson, man, I changed that frame. Hey, wherever Watson goes, Joey, he's going to change that division. If you put Deshaun Watson in the NFC East, he's better than Dak. And that would make the Eagles a frightening contender to Dallas. Dallas Cowboys, get this, of all the divisions in football right now, who's got it locked down right now here on October 5th? Who's got it locked down? The Cowboys. I don't see anybody in the East threatening them. AFC East. You could probably say it's Buffalo's division, right? I don't think the Dolphins are going to do anything. So Buffalo probably has a say. How about in the North? It's probably the Vikings. They've turned it around. They're now 3-1, right? The Cowboys, though, I think it's a slam dunk. They win the East. Out West, I have no idea. The team in last place right now could end up winning that thing. AFC West as well. The best divisions in football, folks, are in the West. AFC and NFC. Urban says, lost their best defender, Brandon Graham. Don't have a replacement. They're not very deep over there with the Eagles, are they? Here's my NFC East rankings. Eagles four, Giants three, Washington two, Cowboys one. Some probably going, you think the Giants are better than us? This week I do. You, you get a chance to change that. This week I do. I do. 400 yards by Dimes Jones. Okay. I think Washington, you know, and I'm going to back that up. Washington, in my opinion, has to figure it out on defense. I, I, I don't know why Chase Young and them dudes can't figure it out. I have no idea. All right, some great games this weekend, too. Buffalo and Kansas City. I'm going to give you my top five NFL teams, my top five college football teams, some really great Great college football games. Georgia-Auburn, we're going to talk about all that. Eagles have a problem on defense. How do you fix it? We'll hit on all that next. You keep it here on the National Football Show. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life, 
First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Welcome back. National Football Show, Dan Soyos. We are hoping to catch up with our friend from Fox Sports, Mark Schlereth, owner of three Super Bowl championships. Two Broncos, one Redskins, slash Washington team. Love listening to Mark. He's got a great radio show, too, also in the city of Denver, too. So um, we're hoping to catch up with him. You know, I... There's so many really good games now. I mean, I said this yesterday to you. The number one thing you're looking at after four weeks, you start to create trends and tendencies. And I I, I can't tell you how precise, and I can't express it enough to you, how precise this becomes like a chess match. If you watched any of that Patriots and Buccaneer game, That was one of the most classic game plans I've ever seen versus Tom Brady. I have never seen another defensive coordinator put so many obstacles in front of Tom. Then you had the weather, the environment, all of that added into it. And the way Belichick called that game, I mean – There's no question the Buccaneers have a better roster. But Bill kept that thing close because of coaching, because of the disguised coverages that he did. How many times did you see, um, you know, the walk-up coverages and disguised coverages in New England where Brady, as he got to the five-second mark before the clock went down and the play clock went down, those guys adjusted and slid the defensive front or they slid the backers back, they brought a safety up, whatever. It was so well done, and everything is timing and technique in that league. College football, you can get away with that. You can get away with all that. In the NFL, everything is mapped out, and it's strategically mapped out. You know, when I made that jump from – and I was fortunate because I had Jimmy Johnson as my college football coach, and Jimmy's entire coaching staff – went to the Dallas Cowboys, and those guys won three Super Bowls. Every single assistant coach that I had at Miami, the University of Miami, ended up going with Jimmy to Dallas, and all of those guys won three Super Bowls. Those guys would put down game plans, Butch Davis and Dave Wanstatt and Dave Campo 
and Norv and all of these guys. I can't express to you enough the technique that the NFL has in coaching. You saw that on display Sunday night with Belichick with that brilliant game plan against Brady. Brady completed less passes than he threw. I mean, didn't throw a touchdown pass. The NFL, it's not just super talent. It's also super coaching. And with that being said, a guy who owns three Super Bowls, I love watching him when he is on Fox. He goes on Colin Coward all the time. He does a great radio show in Denver. Is our friend Mark Schlereth. Mark, I was I want to start it there, what we were just talking about. I think the fans got a really great display on what you and I, when we look at tendencies and trends, especially going after week four, on how that classroom was on display for Brady. That was one of the most brilliant game plans I have ever seen against Tom Brady. Was that Patriot roster in the room with the with the Buccaneers? No, but I just took away just watching one master versus another master, and I hope the fans really understood what they were watching because you may never see anything like that again. I just want to get your thoughts on what you saw on Sunday night. Yeah, you know, I've had so many conversations over the years, just one a, a couple of weeks ago with Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick is – you can say whatever you want about Bill Belichick, you know, from a grumpy standpoint or whatever the case may be. But we had such an unbelievable conversation. You know, we uh, we introductions. Hey, you know, good to see you. I hadn't seen him since he coached me in a Pro Bowl. And then we sit down and the first thing he says to me and uh, I'll clean it up for for your show. But we had some freaking epic battles. That's what he said. And then we just reminisced about game and game plans and things that we were trying to do and told stories about, you know, about different things. And it was so funny because he relayed a story. And I remember the game like it was yesterday. We were playing the Giants up in New York. And he said, the only thing I really worried about um, more than anything else was Art Monk, Ricky Sanders and Gary Clark. And he's I mean, he's just rattling off names. And he goes, those guys were an absolute problem. And so my whole thought process as the D coordinator of the Giants back then was, I'm not letting those guys beat us. And so he goes, we funneled everything to Donnie Warren. And Donnie Warren, hmm. you talk to any anybody who played in those times, Donnie Warren was the best blocking tight end in football, bar none. Um, he was an absolute menace on the edge. The complete and total why, you know, DNs and you name it, Carl Banks and Pepper Johnson, all those guys said Donnie Warren is the legit, like that, this guy's the GOAT when it comes to blocking people. Well, in that particular game, um, they funneled everything to him, and Donnie Warren had nine catches for 65 yards. Wow. And, and you know what, though? We still lost by three, right? And the point was is Donnie Warren catching the football – isn't going to beat us. And the thing I reminisced with him about was I remember the game. I remember losing the game. It was in the Meadowlands. And I also remember us nicknaming Donnie Warren. So Donnie Warren's nickname was Dutch. That was his nickname. And we called him the flying Dutchman for a week and a half. Right. And, <laughs> and Bill, or excuse me, Bill Belichick was like, you know, he bumped into Donnie in the off season or whatever. And, and, and he and Irene were talking to, um, talking to coach Belichick and, and Irene, his wife, was like, they see, I told you they should have used Donnie more. And, and Bill just said, yeah, oh, yeah, they need to use him more. And meanwhile, he's like, dude, it's like, we're going to let him. We, he could have caught, he could have caught 20 against us. Mm -hmm. He, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to beat us. And they do such a phenomenal job 
when you watch Bill Belichick coach teams and what he does, they do such a phenomenal job. And it's the same way now that it is back when he was when I was playing and coaching. They have players that have dual roles. And one of the things, and you know this is a defensive lineman, when you have the ability to line up DN or line up an outside linebacker or line up on the inside inside linebacker, slide down to three technique and play D tackle, it's a bitch for us as an offense yeah. to designate how we're going to block you guys. So one of the things he does a great job of, of going out and getting guys that have that duality, that can play multiple positions. Um, so it makes it really hard to designate. And then they flop in and out of four down linemen to three down linemen. And your ability, your understanding, and the things you have to know from a technique standpoint in what you're doing um, is inc- incredibly hard. It's it's really hard to coach that because there's a big difference. You know, there's a technique difference. You play in a three, four, and you're playing a two gap scheme. You play in a four down lineman, and you're playing a one gap scheme. And so it's really hard. Hey, man, am I the pass rusher or am I the dropper this time? You know, that's a hard skill to have. Most guys don't have that type of skill set. And um, he is he is one of those coaches. You know, there's a lot of really bad coaches in the National Football League. Um, but there's some really good ones and some really good staffs. And you can see it week in and week out how how guys get coached up, how change, how schemes change. Um, you know, one of the things I had this conversation, Dan, with a, with a coach – uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, this is such a copycat league, and we all try to copy what other people are successful with, but it really matters to understand your team. And so you can take a scheme and something that you don't run, and you can say, wow, this really worked, let's implement it. But you don't necessarily know all the nuances of that particular scheme. You don't know the pitfalls of that particular scheme. So you put it in to simply take advantage of it. And sometimes it ends up biting you in the ass, right? Because yeah. it backfires on you. And so there's a real art form to knowing one, how to stop somebody. You have to understand what they do, why they do it, how to stop it. And then you have to ask yourself, do I have the players that can actually run this scheme and that can stop what the offense or what the defense is trying to do to us? And so I think the best coaches really, they do a great job with that from a game planning standpoint. But the number one thing is I have to not just attack my opponent, which is important, but I have to mitigate my own weakness. And I think that's where a lot of coaches screw up because they're like, I'm going to attack, 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 and I may expose myself to a weakness, but we're just overcome that. And that's when you get the strip sack fumble. That's when you screw something up on the defensive side and, you know, you're playing cover three and and a slot and you're, buzz defender doesn't run with the wheel route and then that happened to me in san francisco this week you know and you're like those mistakes cost you games and um and ultimately you know he's just one of those guys that's a lot of fun to watch every sunday because they always come up with something that you're like wow that was uh i didn't see that one i didn't see that coming but they they got him on that man there's no question and and mark brilliantly said because you know, I think the difference between our time and today is these hybrid guys putting their hand in the dirt, standing up like this kid in Dallas now, this kid Parsons, is being able to do that stuff. It's so it's so complex, and that's why the Patriots have been a chameleon each and every single week. You'll see a healthy non-act, and then you'll see him activated the next week because it's a skill set that he has that'll go towards that particular team and what your approach is. So 
There's no yeah. question. That's a difference in the game today. I want to get to Philadelphia here. You think Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback of the future for that football team? You know, I think that remains to be seen, Dan. I think it's going to take some time. I think you have to understand, you go back to his Alabama days. Every year in Alabama, he had a different coordinator. Every single year, different coordinator, different quarterback coach. And then you go to Oklahoma, again, a different coordinator, different quarterback coach. And then two years in the NFL, different quarterback coach, different coordinator. So you're talking about, if you go all the way back, you're talking about right now six or seven yeah. different for, for every year. So I talked to him. I did a game um, in week two, and he impressed me. Like, he's a smart kid. Um, he's a coach's kid. He understands the nuances of football. Um, I just think that that that's going to take time. I think they've increased the talent level of that football team. Um, but one of the things that you have to, you know, you kind of have to figure out is how are you going to take pressure off that young quarterback? Um, how are you going to run the ball consistently? And I look at Arizona right now and what they're doing. You know, here's a football team to me that was really good um, talent-wise, but just didn't put it all together. And now all of a sudden you see a talented football team that is running kind of spread concepts and absolutely owning the line of scrimmage at the same time. And I think it's really hard to do, to, to do both of those things. And then obviously when things break down, Kyler Murray is just a freak show. So I think there's a, there is a, a learning process of, Hey, we're going to run this kind of more of a spread type of offense but how do we get how do we get our running game to mesh and jive with that properly? And then how do we have a balance of shotgun runs, under center runs? I think one of the things that people don't understand is when you're in shotgun all the time, two things happen. You're either what I call plus or minus. You're plus toward the tight end side or you're minus toward, you know, on the weak side. And when you line up that way, there's nothing you can run. If you're lined up minus to the weak side, there's nothing, there's no weak side run you have. So everything comes across a formation shotgun. So one, you tip the defense that, hey, if we run zone read, which is really our only run, um, we're coming, you know, if you're on a left-handed, on the left-hand side of the quarterback, you're coming to the right. The other thing is when you time it up out of shotgun, it takes about, on average, about two-tenths to three-tenths of a second longer for the running back to get to the line of scrimmage because you got to accept the snap, and then you got to ride the running back as opposed to taking it from under center and just run around and turn it and hand it off. So that's an offensive line that has to be sustaining a block for two-tenths of three-cents of a second more. That's oftentimes the difference between you breaking an arm tackle and going to the second level and you get in a mouthful of Rydell at the line of scrimmage. And you know and you know how that is, right? You know how playing D-line, you know how, how a split second makes all the difference in the world. And so those are things that I think the, the average person and even some of the average coaches don't really understand how much more difficult that is um, to run out, of, to, to try to run out of shotgun because you're limited in what you can do. Um, and you're, you know, you basically – letting the defense to a degree read your mail. 
Absolutely. I mean, the difference between an eye blink is the difference between a slip and a scoop. I mean, you're just, there's no question on that. You know, I want to ask you about the construction of a coaching staff too. You know, I'm watching the game with my wife, the Kansas City Eagle game, and I'm doing this and I see Gannon and I saw Nick Sirianni, these two young coaches. You know, it made me think of what Sean McVay did out in Los Angeles when he brought Wade Phillips in. You know, when you're going against some of these offenses, man, you have to have experience. On that side of the ball, we just talked about the differences and the nuances that you face in this league with these great offensive coordinators today. And if you don't have a lot of experience, and I'm not saying they're not skilled coaches because they're obviously there because somebody saw something in them to hire them, analytics, whatever it is. But if you haven't seen 43 disguises, the Ravens walk up, like you said, they'll slide from a three to go to a one. They'll go to a head up. They'll go 34-43. They'll wait for you on the five-second mark, and then they'll slide the defensive front, run a game on you. If you're not seeing that, that um, to me, that's experience, Mark. The importance of putting a great and experienced coaching staff, and I know you want to get young guys in there. How important is that? Because I look at the Eagles now, and I'm like, man, they got a lot of young guys on that coaching staff, and it plays out because this is a second-half league. Adjustments are made on the sidelines and in the locker room and I just see the Eagles getting killed in the second half on adjustments. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting topic. And here's what I'll say: you know, um, you know, thirty-something-year-old head coaches that have offensive prowess and uh, you know have developed a young quarterback. That's like Viagra to eighty-year-old owners. They they can't get enough of that, right? And so they'll hire those guys, whether those guys are great communicators or not. One of the things I've noticed about a lot of these young coaches that are getting hired, you know, the Sean McVay. Like Sean McVay walked into the room the first time I had a meeting with Sean McVay and I wanted to play for him. He is that dynamic of personality. I always told my kids growing up, there's two types of people, people who walk in the room and energize it and the people who walk out of the room and energize it, right? You don't want to be the guy who walks out and energizes the room. Thank God that guy's gone. Sean McVay walks into a room and lights it up. I mean, it's amazing. Brandon Staley, who took over for Wade Phillips, same type of guy. But when I talked to Sean McVay about Wade Phillips, he said it was vastly important to me to hire somebody that had gravitas, to hire somebody that had experience, to hire somebody that had been a head coach, to hire somebody that had seen the pitfalls because I'm smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough to know it all. And that was important to me. And then you have to look at, the guy's ability to communicate, whether you're young or whether you're old, has it's no bearing on your ability to communicate, right? Yeah. It's it's can you communicate or can you not? Are you authentic or are you not? And those are the things that are important to players. Players don't like players don't really care if you're not the greatest X's nose coach or whatever. Players just want somebody that is authentic, that they can believe in, that they can ride with. That's what they want. They want a head coach says, hey, man, this is our identity. This is what we're going to do. And then stays true to exactly those things, those tenets that he puts out in front of his players. And as long as you're authentic, man, it doesn't matter if you're an offensive guru, a defensive guru, or you're just uh, more like Pete Carroll, uh, you know, the, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. As long as you are who you are and you're real, man, players, players will play for you. Now, they'll, if you're fake, and you're not authentic and you're, you know, a fake tough guy and, you know, and, and you're going to build something, you know, the, the quote unquote Patriot way. Players are going to tune you out in a minute. The, one thing about players, 
Now we're not all that bright, you know. I mean, um, the, I know the I'm not. Hey, yeah. wind me up and let me go, right, Mark? Right. <laughs> the majority of us aren't all that bright, but I tell you what, one thing players have in spades, in my opinion, is horse sense, oh, yeah. and they can and they can pretty much instantly spot whether you're a fraud or whether you can play or whether you can coach. And so I just think that that's one of those things that's that's vitally important. There are a lot of really good young coaches in this league. Um, but from a young coaching perspective, you have to also understand the nuance of, of playing and how difficult it is. And you got to be willing to listen to your players. And, um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm excited about a lot of the young coaches in this league that I've met with, like you said, Nick Sirianni, uh, like a Sean McVay, you know, all these guys that Brandon Staley's that you're like, and these guys are, these guys are pretty special right now. I, I, I got to tell you a quick story here. So Jimmy Johnson, I'm, I'm at Miami with him, and um, Coach is coming up to me. Man, you know, we got this here, this, and then I go, you know, Coach, why are you always on my ass? He looked over at me. He goes, hey, Dan, let me tell you something. Worry when I'm not on your ass. And I went yeah. like this. And I looked over at him. I went, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I get it. Now, speaking of the Cowboys here, are you buying them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, like they took on – Carolina, and I know that game came down to a one-score game late, but they physically punished they Carolina, just physically punished them. And that is a – defensively, you know, Phil Snow, their defense coordinator, runs this 3-3-5 kind of collegiate um, Big 12-type defense, right? And what ends up happening to you is that becomes very difficult because, you know, a safety can play, safety can play nickel, he can play dime, linebacker. Um, you know, he can play rush defensive end. There's, they have a lot of versatility in that defense as well. And sometimes it gets a little confusing who we got, um, especially in the run. And I think Dallas just said, hey, screw it, we're going to spot block this. And whoever comes in your area, just give them a mouthful. And they physically just dominated the line of scrimmage. They weren't so assignment worried as they were spot area understanding. And you know, when I say spot block, I mean, hey, man, we're playing zone and whoever we got double team on this down player and whoever comes into, you know, into our alleyway, we're on a track and whoever comes in that just stop bubble that son of a gun. Right. Alex and, Gibb, Alex Gibb stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I thought they did a great job with that. And then defensively, you know, where you say coaching matters, Dan Quinn, I think after they lost that Super Bowl in Atlanta, Dan Quinn was the head coach. I just think that that absolutely took the air out of out of that franchise dan quinn is a is a damn good football coach he's a keep it simple stupid football coach right i just want my guys to be yeah. able to play with their hair on fire and he's a builder of relationships man he does a phenomenal job he's one of my favorite player our favorite coaches in the league and he's done a great job with that stuff and um and then you get some players like Diggs, who's got five interceptions right now. And, you know, here's a kid, and, and I've always said this, you know, I played defense my first three, four years of college, and then I moved over my last year back over. I came in as an offensive player, moved to defense, played for four years on defense, then moved back to the offensive side for my redshirt senior year. Hmm. And playing defense really helped me have a much better understanding as an offensive player of what the defense was trying to do. And so, you know, I could see safety rotation. I knew when linebackers, hey, man, this is this guy's, you know, they're going to pirate stunt. This guy, they're moving over. That means we're going to get this rotation. So now we have to run 
you know, get an extra blocker over there. So we've got to, you know, re-identify the mic and things of that nature. Like I, I had that sense when I came out because I had played so much defense. This Diggs kid was an offensive player growing up in high school. I think he played a little offense when he first got to Alabama. Um, it makes a difference, you know, and, and he is playing lights out. Parsons, who you talked about earlier, you talk about a phenomenal young player. Uh, they are they are legitimate. Defensively, they were so bad last year. They're really playing great football right now, complimentary football. Like I said, I'm buying them just because of the ass whipping they put up front on people. Finally here, um, you know, you, you wonder sometimes if there's certain coaches that are designed to be college coaches and some guys that are designed to be pro coaches. And, you know, who would have thought that the most mature guy in the Jacksonville locker room would be the 22-year-old quarterback and not the 57-year-old head coach? And for me, I'm not going to sit here and play morality cop here, mm -hmm. Mark, because you and I know this is this is a game of adults here. What that guy does, I just care what he does on third and eight. I really don't care what he does at 8 o'clock at night. Okay, that's for him. However. When you are the head football coach and you're trying to change the culture in that locker room, I just – I don't know, man. I, I I just don't see this thing being a long-term thing here. Do you? No. Um, you know, it is. I, I understand, and I'm with you, man. Like, if not for the grace of God, there go I, you know. I mean, we've all yeah. made some <laughs> really stupid decisions in our lives. Absolutely. Um, but with that said, when you're preaching – you know, when you're pe preaching to your players integrity, I, I know as soon as they finish that game, I'm proud of the way you guys played. Hey, listen, we should have won that game. You know, there were a couple of mistakes that I made as a coach, but you guys played your asses off. And you know what? And I apologize for that. But what do you say after that? Hey, man, you're going to get a couple of days off. Guys, make sure you don't do anything stupid. Make sure you don't get yourself in trouble. You know, um, the integrity of the organization is the utmost important. You know, you know, it's coach speak, right? And it's what yeah. guys say. And and you're trying to change the culture and you're trying to to develop some um, some accountability in the culture there. And then, you know, you go out and and you do what you do. Um, and it's you know, I mean. It's upsetting and I, I'm with you, man, I'm not I'm not going to sit here on a soapbox and go. Hey, that guy, you know, needs to be dealt with, or that guy needs to be fired, or that guy, whatever. But from a player's perspective, there is nothing, there's nothing worse than a coach preaching one thing and then doing something completely different than what he's preaching. My thing was integrity, and I've talked to I've talked to multiple coaches as, you know, as one of the player kind of captain representatives, if you will. Um, you can't preach integrity, you can't preach character, you can't preach all the things you preach and and adhere to those things only when they're beneficial to you right and like if you're going to preach that stuff you damn well better preach it and you better you better make sure that um that you adhere to it um and not just you can't tell me hey this guy doesn't have you know the qualities to play on our in our football organization this guy is not of you know quality character and we would never have this guy and when that guy, you know, and, and this, that, and the other, and I've been there in that meeting room, and then all of a sudden the guy becomes a free agent, we make him the highest paid guy on our team. That's, that's, you know, that's not okay. It's not okay. And it's and not. all, and all 53 guys will sit in that locker room. And the next time you open your mouth, this guy, this guy's full of crap. Right. And that's, so as an organization, if you're the owner, Shad Khan, 
you've got to understand how players are going to respond to him the next time he says, hey, I need your best effort or, hey, I need you guys to have some integrity about you. And I, that's, that's, going to be, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. I, I just, again, like you said, Mark, I'm not, I'm not going to play moral guy here because I've got things that I've done in my past too, and I'm not going to do that. But like you said, man, when you look at a guy in an exit meeting or you're talking to them on, I need more effort out of you here. You need more dedication out of you, man. Man, you can't talk to men like that. You could talk to college kids like that because, you know, the pat on the head and all that crap. But when you're talking to men, guy's going to look you in the face and just go like this, dude, you're full of crap and you know it, man. And I, I just think it's a short term thing there, by the way, how's the lawn coming? Lawn and the lawn is good, man. I just actually just came in. I, uh, I had, I, I did a, a, a plot of where I, we took some trees out and, um, man, I have had the, the biggest, the, the toughest time without it. I had roots growing around all roots growing around all my irrigation and so to get the root out, I had to cut through all my irrigation and, and it like the tree root was, you know, the irrigation was inside the tree root and the, I get it. And, and I didn't, one of the things I cut through and I'm working in this little tidy hole was all the electrical in my, in my sprinkler system. So I, I'm telling you what, I've been in this hole in and out of this hole three different times because, um, I am. You know, the only way you learn how to do stuff is by screwing things up, right? And so I screwed it up a couple of times. I've redug it the last time. I just was like, screw it. I'm leaving this hole in the ground. I'll put a rake over it, right? To make sure nobody trips and falls in this thing and breaks their leg. But I'm leaving it open for two weeks and making sure that it doesn't start leaking again or that my sprinkler system actually works again. So um, I had every zone working except one, and I had to dig it up twice more to fix it. And so anyhow, I got it. I got it going on now, though. I, I think I've, I, you know, I'm going to knock on wood. I hope I got it fixed. Well, here, I leave you with this. Just make sure you don't cut the septic tank pipe. Okay. I'm just leaving you that. That's yeah. a little experience. Okay. Just yeah. make sure you don't hit the septic tank pipe. That's, that's something you don't want to do because believe me, the wife will be on your ass for that. Oh, hey, Mark, right. I appreciate it, brother. My pleasure. Take care of yourself, Dan. Always you good catching it, up. Bye. You bet, man. That's my friend, Mark Schlereth there. And yeah, just a key note here. Don't ever hit the septic tank when you're out back, okay? You don't want that in your water or in when you're taking a shower. Leave it to you there. <laughs> hey, Colin's like, issues with the grass and irrigation. Welcome to the life of a golf course superintendent. Thank you. <laughs> yes, man. Yeah, hey, I say this to you about... About Urban Meyer, man. Dude, dude. I, I'm not going to play moral dude here. Okay? I'm not. Yeah, Eddie, make sure the septic tank pipes, um, you know where they are. One day, I, hey, here, real quick. Hey, speak, well, since I'm talking about shit right now, I might as well talk about my, my septic tank because I was talking about Urban Meyer, right? <laughs> so one day I go in my, my shower. I got it. My, this is the big sill studio, you know, right here. You know, got the whole thing here. So I go in my shower. There's something on the floor, and I'm like, "What is that?" Uh oh, we've been digging out back too. Okay, no, no, hey Joe. I look in there, and something's bubbling up, like it's a volcano. 
and it's in my shower. I'm like, what is this? How did the septic tank get in my shower? So we had these guys out here for about two weeks. This guy's under my house. And this guy comes out like he's like on um, like uh, a vacation movie. Shitter's full. The shitter's full. Shitter's full. I'm going like, what? <laughs> the shitter's full. It was like Eddie, Christmas vacation. <laughs> shitter's full. Thank you. Thank you. I won't be having dinner anytime soon. I'll have to wait until my stomach settles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, that went on three different times. My aunt's like, this is unacceptable. <laughs> this is, hey, Clark, the shitter's full. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, hey, by the way, this is how, this is how, um, you know, the reason why we had to wait two weeks to get Schlereth because he's like, man, I'm in my backyard, Sills. And don't call me Wednesday on because I go on the road and I call games for Fox. I said, okay. So I gave him a couple of weeks and he goes, give me. So I, I text him this morning. I'm laying in bed. He goes, I'll do it too. Cause I promised you, man. He goes, but man, I'm out back, man. I'm dealing with this thing here, man. This thing is off the charts here. I just can't, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, man. And <laughs> Dion says every Urban Meyer incident, there's an Urban Meyer. Oh no, Dion, watch this. You guys remember the the sitcom Sanford and Son? Here's Urban Meyer. Elizabeth, I'm coming for you, honey. It's my heart. I got caught grinding on a chick in a bar in Columbus. I'm coming, honey. Well, no, no, no. Wait a minute. No, no, no. In Columbus, it was the brain fog. In Gainesville, it was the heart. In Gainesville, it was this. Ugh. I've got to step away from the Gators job because of health issues. Even though I had 36 arrests in five years, you know, Aaron Hernandez on my team. We won a couple of national championships because... As Cilio says, you don't win national championships with choir boys. So my heart, I have to step away from the game. Then in Columbus, you, you notice after the Zach Smith thing came to a head and everybody started going, oh, wait, he's got a coach on his coaching staff that beats his wife. All of a sudden, he's standing on the sidelines going like this. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, seriously. I didn't buy it for a second. Don't buy it. It's like the Ben Simmons thing. I've got mental health issues now. Really, Ben? No, no, no. You've got cowardly lion issues when it comes to jump shots and free throws. <laughs> Urban Fred Sanford Meyer. Hey, you think he had a health issue when he was in that bar grinding on that chick? How you doing? Woo! Guy looked like he had an health issue. Yeah, he'll have a health issue, just like Elon put that nine iron up 
Tiger Woods' head that night in November, right? A couple years back. How you doing? Hey, Tiger, come over here. By the way, write me a check for $300 million, which he did. <laughs> Durbin Meyer. You know what NFL means? Not for long. <laughs> oh, little blueish. I, I, man, no one urban, man. He's probably got a pocket full of those uh, Viagras. Oy vey. <laughs> yes, just one piece of experience, though, for you. If you're working in your backyard, just make sure you know where the shitter is. That's all I leave you with. Hey, guys, please hit the like button. We appreciate it. Do me a favor. Also, share it if you can. And we so appreciate you guys each and every single day. We'll catch you tomorrow going four to six, and we'll catch you also on the flip side.